I had two small four by four whitetails come in all the way to like five yards and they were just, they knew something was in there. I'm just this little kid crawled in a, a bush and I was too, I was so scared. I couldn't even pull my bow back. I was, yeah. I was like, I was probably seven or eight at the time. And, uh, and I, it, I wouldn't have killed anything anyway with the bow I had at yeah. the time. But, uh, yeah, like the adrenaline of having them that close. Um, I mean, I can, I can remember that day like it's yesterday. This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, today on the podcast, I sat down and chatted with Jacob Wheeling. Jacob owns Little Missouri Archery with his business partner, Andy. Uh, That is a archery shop in North Dakota. But we talked about his passion for archery, how that started, but a lot about the archery shop. Uh, And then I guess I I really, really honed in and had a ton of questions because I find myself in similar shoes sometimes is how do you maintain passion when the work that you're passionate about becomes more routine or more uh, of a serious job and it's it can become a, somewhat of a grind uh, and just trying to piece through that and at what point do you shift at what point do you lean in harder um, so for the first 45 50 minutes or so I had quite a few questions for him on that again a lot of this this whole project is me just trying to learn and and grow through asking other people questions that I myself am dealing with at times so for a while we chat about that eventually talk about do some shed hunting some hunting stuff like that i really really enjoyed this one uh, i hope you guys do as well welcome to the obsessed podcast i'm your host logan Herkus. in this podcast we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Jacob, thanks for coming in or thanks for having me, I should say. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Nice to have you. Uh, So I I really wanted to do this to hear about the start of your archery shop, right? What started that? What what inspired that? What were the choices you made to get into that? So can can you break that down? eventually we get into hunting for you where that began where that started where that came from but what was the birth of the archery shop for you um the birth of it you know i've always been kind of a an equipment junkie um so i don't know it i mean for years prior to having the archery shop friends and family they're always asking me equipment questions because i'm always you know i looking at the new stuff or the best stuff or trying to improve my system no matter what kind of hunt i'm going on and so i've always been really really into the equipment side of hunting and uh so it's kind of a natural fit i mean i the actual creation of the archery shop was a little bit spontaneous um kind of mentioned earlier i was a matthew shooter for quite a few years probably 15 years didn't like a particular bow that they came out with one year and uh landed on expedition that was the brand i wanted to to switch to and there was no dealers around so i uh just ended up becoming a dealer that's mm-hmm. that was the very first brand we we signed with and uh a friend friend of mine at the time was a Bowtech and andy tamonic he he's like well do you want a partner in it and it just that's that's kind of where it started so it was there was, wasn't really a lot of thought i mean i've always been business minded i went to business school so i mean there was always probably a desire to have my own business of some sort whether 
whether it was an archery or the outdoor industry or anything. I, I mean, eventually I was going to have a business of some sort. It just, this is, it just kind of fell. Sure. Fell into place, I guess. Okay. So, what were you doing for work at that time? Um, well, I, I'm still, still doing the same thing, but I'm in the midstream side of the oil field. So, okay. um, oil, oil gathering, gas gathering, water gathering. Um, I've been kind of on the same system for around 12 years. So basically my entire career kind of, kind of moved up from the field level to now I'm an operations supervisor. Um, and then now they've, they've thrown some more assets kind of into our, our area. So I've got more pipelines than I did originally, but, um, yeah, I have eight or nine guys working for, for me in that area and really good crew. So, okay. And eventually I want to touch on that, but we'll leave that for now as sure. far as the balance of the full-time job, <laughs> the business, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but so it was more spontaneous. It wasn't something you had thought about for a while, but you kind of, you were interested in business. You went to business school. Yep. Did you go to yeah. business school with the thought of starting your own business or were you thought of managing somebody else's or did you? I, I, I went to business school because I could, I could go hunting as much as possible <laughs> dur during school. Yeah. Business school wasn't, I, I'm a numbers guy and, and it wasn't like overly challenging. So I, there was a lot of Thursdays and Fridays. I was in the Badlands. I was not at, not in college. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's, yeah, it, I don't know. My, my life hasn't been well, well planned or thought out really in any aspect. <laughs> so yeah. it's just, I just kind of <laughs> roll with it. I mean, I, I actually was, so I got a business degree. I had that done in two and a half years and I was actually taking pre-med classes for optometry. Hmm. That's, that's kind of the direction I thought it was going to go and didn't get into the school I wanted to get into. Um, the school I wanted to get into had lots of public elk hunting land around it. Yeah. <laughs> so I only applied for one school you're supposed to apply for five yeah. and, uh, ended up just, I ended up coming home and ended up in the oil field. So that's sure. kind of how, how that part went. But yeah, yeah. The, the business degree I had, it, I didn't have a lot of people have their life together and they kind of plan out what their career is going to be. Mine, mine has not been that. Yeah. <laughs> so. And I think for all the people that you think have their life together, they don't, they're just as lost as the rest of yeah, us. Yeah, that's right? true. Yeah. It's like, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be and I'm 34. So, <laughs> right. Right. So I think, I think whereas somebody that doesn't hear you say that would say, man, that guy's got his life together. Right. So yeah. from the outside, it's, yeah, I think it's all perception. We're all just stumbling through. Yeah. Um, but, I'm curious for the business side of things. Cause that's a part of my world, right? I, I, yep. I enjoy that. I really like thinking about that kind of stuff. Right. I've, yep. I've, I've been in that world somewhat been sales, real estate, that kind yep. of thing. But, uh, so I'm curious for you as you went to business school, you started the business, but like, when did the, the thought process, you, you said you always wanted to own your own business or you knew that was going to happen. When did that come to be? Or like, where did that birth come from? Uh, I was curious what like entrepreneurship and that whole thing, what, what that means for you. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. You can ask my parents from the time I was a little kid, I was always scheming on selling this or that, or you know, doing, figuring out some way to make money. Like I used to tie spinners for, for fishermen and okay. sell rolls of spinners. Like I just, I did lots of little stuff like that. Um, I don't know. Like it, I, I honestly didn't, we didn't really start the, the archery business thinking we were going to make a bunch of money from it. It was just, you know, we both bought a lot of hunting equipment. It's like, what's, what's one way we can get that cheaper. Mm -hmm. It's well, you can get it at cost and sure. you can sell a little bit of it and pay for, pay for some of your problem. Right. And well, I, I guess I don't think it's a problem, but <laughs> my yeah. wife might disagree yeah. with me on, on that, but, uh, um, yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of, that's kind of where it started. Um, you know, we were kind of, we kind of set a goal the first year of hopefully we can sell 10 bows. Yeah. You know, there isn't that much of a margin on, 
on like the actual bow itself, maybe 15, 20%. And we're like, if we sell 10 bows, our bow's essentially free. Yeah. And then we can get a new one every year if we can just do that. And then, you know, it's slowly, you know, Western North Dakota, there's not exactly a surplus of archery shops around here. You know, there's just not that many places that do it. And if you, if there is an archery place, you just don't, you don't really know who's going to be in the shop that day when sure. you take something. So us, you know, being the owners and the only employees, quality control is easy. Yeah. It's just me and Andy. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's more of a personalized customer customer service than like you could get at a big box store where they have 20 archery techs. You can actually, you know, call us. They, you, it, it's valuable to have your archery tech in your phone. For sure. And I mean, there's people that call me every day just asking about this or that. And, and sometimes they don't even have to come back into the shop. So I think, I think that's how it's, how it's grown is just the, the customer service side. We kind of just focus on that and, you know, we don't really advertise it's, you know, it's word of mouth. If your customer service is good, you take care of people. It's, I don't know. It spreads quickly. Yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know that it doesn't, I mean, that's a big, a big rant. I'm not sure it really answers your question, but it's, mm-hmm. I don't know, business creation. I've always kind of wanted to work for myself. Um, but the archery shop itself, and like, I don't know that that's, maybe it'll grow into that someday where I can walk away from a day job. Um, maybe it won't, but yeah, it was, the archery shop creation was a little bit more spontaneous than years of thought, I guess. Yeah. But I have always been like a, just, just a gearhead. I, I always like the nicest bows, the nicest equipment, the new thing. I just like messing with that stuff. I just interesting to me. Yeah, so. for sure. Let's kind of dive into that though, actually not the gearhead side of things, which I could go along with too. Like, I love it. Like yeah. it's, it's unreal, but the, uh, um, the balance of the career, the business, right. Uh, there's not like a one size fits all, but do you have any thoughts on that? Like, is it almost better having it be a two edge thing? Like what, could you lose your love for this world if you were doing it all the time? Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, it's like, you can ask Andy about this too. It's like after, after opening week and the dust settles a little bit, like you always have the, the opening week where you're, you're super busy because you know, everything's a, a disaster like if it happens that first week of the season so yeah. you're, you're really busy with just like random calls and people coming in but like you get into october and we're always ready for a break yeah. from it honestly so it like right now it's slowing down a little bit still have a few customers a week but everybody's out hunting where they should be mm-hmm. and uh but yeah, yeah it's balancing it with a full-time job i mean honestly from like this year normally our first quarter is pretty slow and so january through march usually pretty slow but this year like honestly in february it started picking up and it hasn't slowed down at all and honestly all the way through september it was really busy so it it's it's a love-hate thing here right i mean you're it's good that you're busy right it means you're making money um and it, it means that customers are happy with the service you're providing them but it, it can be it can be challenging because you know my day job it's probably around 45 to 55 hours a week so Mm -hmm. you know what that what a typical day would look like is you know wake up wake up and head to work around six and you know i might get home at five because i i work an hour away from here so Mm -hmm. i have two hours of drive time basically and uh and then get home and start helping customers sometimes i'm not in in the house until after midnight right And, and then sometimes i have to get up early before work flash arrows for a couple hours and just to get caught up just so lead times aren't terrible because yeah. you know everybody 
everybody wants their equipment in a timely matter, but, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. You know, the last two or three years as the business has grown, it's been, it's, it's gotten tougher and tougher and balancing that with family life and, you know, trying to do some hunting and, or fishing or whatever, some recreational mm -hmm. sport. Um, it's, it, it's a challenge and it's, I, I don't have it figured out. I mean, it's, I'm going to be learning every single year from here on out and it'll get, it'll change again once the kids are old enough to be in activities and stuff. Right. That, that. I don't know. It, if anybody's got tips, I'm, I'm glad they take them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'm going to some, uh, I should say, just have experience in a similar world, right? Real estate, you can work around the clock if you want to, right? Yeah. Uh, and for as far as balancing family life, whatever else, you eventually have to get to the point like, hey, my family has to be priority. Otherwise, I'm going to burn out and I, I can't help you guys, right? Yeah. And so I think there's trying to find some of that balance and firm boundaries. Like even like I had Andy fletch me some arrows and he works a full-time job. So I'm going there in the evening. So to fletch 12 arrows, I'm there two evenings and he's got to walk out, leave his family, whatever else. Like that's not easy. Yeah. Right. Uh, for not a huge return. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not like we're, we're getting rich by the, by any means with this because we're, cause we're not, I mean, it, it pays well enough to justify doing it at this point, mm -hmm. but um, if it would ever tip the other way where we don't feel like our time is worth what we're getting in return, then we would we would have to look at it, you know. Yeah. But for for now, it's it's steadily growing, and you know we're going into larger items that we're trying to get into larger stuff that just doesn't tie up more time. Sure. So you know, box line sales, e bike sales. Um, now we have wheeled fish houses, skid yeah. houses. You know, they're larger items, and yeah, you might have a customer stop, but they're going to stop for 15 minutes, look things over, maybe go home and think about it and then come back and you load them on a trailer and, and they're gone. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, sometimes you have a problem bow, you're in the shop for four and a half hours on a bow. And it's like, if you, if you wanted to, we have an hourly rate of 60, right. $60. But if you, if you would tell a customer you worked on their bow for four hours and you're going to charge them 240 bucks, they're not gonna be that happy. About no. it. I mean, and, and it's just, I mean, you couldn't go to a, you know, a car repair shop or something. And I mean, they're going to charge you a hundred bucks an hour yeah. and you're going to pay for that. But it's right. like, for whatever reason in the archery industry, it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like people are like real receptive to here's four hours times 60, you know, like, so it's, you got to kind of balance it. And it's like, so, you know, if they're a good customer and they buy all your stuff in the shop or buy all their stuff in the shop, we, we typically treat those those return customers pretty good you know if it's somebody that calls and it's midnight on opening weekend and they need a new string put on and we happen to have the right one that yeah they're going to probably get charged a little bit more just because it's kind of an on-call thing you mm -hmm. know and shields isn't going to help you at midnight on right. opening weekend you know right. so not yeah. not to cost shields or anything but it, it's sure. just one of those things it's it's a little bit niche but we're mm -hmm. we're still we're still we're still learning um you know this is See, I think our eight year anniversary will be this spring. So we've been doing it for eight years and yeah, there's always new stuff coming up and constantly mm -hmm. learning with it. And we've improved our processes and stuff and probably split work up more efficiently the last couple of years, just cause we've had to, cause we're kind of both drowning. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've, we've had to, you know, we've had to try and figure that balance out and it's again, it's ongoing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're going to be learning on that forever, but, right. um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind if it kind of stayed at this pace for the foreseeable future. Like it, it's in a good place right now. Mm -hmm. For sure. So. And I don't say that to take away from anything. Like I just say that from being from the outside looking in, mm -hmm. I think if you're really good at what you do, you, you really care about what you do. You provide a lot of good quality service that again, your business is going to grow and grow and grow to the point where you're like, how do I maintain this? Right. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so I think yeah. they're a huge learning point and I don't know the answer is yeah. to like, how do you, how do you reconcile that to the point where like you can sustain that? Yeah. I don't and know. It, I, you I know, know. I, it would be nice to have, to be able to hire a couple of employees to yeah. do just like arrow fletching, for sure. example, like that would be nice to not have to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause like la- last year I, I usually keep track annually how many I did. And I think I did like 120 dozen mm-hmm. in a year. Now it doesn't sound like a ton in a year, year time frame, time frame, but thing is, is it's like usually it's stacked up in like six months. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, that's the, that gets to be quite a bit. And if, and especially like a lot of people are going for fletch. I've even had some people doing six fletch now, sure. like that just, it gets incredibly time consuming. Right. And you know, again, if you charge the full hour, hourly rate on that, the arrows would be $50 an arrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to find the balance of, you know, feeling compensated without the customer feeling overcharged. Yeah. So like, I think, I think we're, I th- think we're doing an okay job because we have tons of repeat customers. So mm-hmm. I, we're not trying to charge, charge people to the point where we're, we're screwing anyone over, mm-hmm. it, but we just, yeah, you, they don't make more time. Right. <laughs> so For sure. It's a tough, tough balance. I mean, it, it'd be great if one day it was busy enough and <clears throat> you know, we could open a full fledged retail shop, like, and do this full time. Is it ever going to get there? I don't know. I, <laughs> that wasn't what the intent was when we set off to do this was to walk away from our day job. But if there was ever an opportunity in the right place, maybe, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would have like eight years ago, looking at what I thought it was going to be to what it is now, I would, have, I would have told you absolutely no way. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, we're never gonna, you know, have a quarter where we do 200,000 in sales. Like, right. I would never guess that. Right. And this, this quarter, I think we're probably right there. Yeah. And so it, yeah. It, <clears throat> I don't know. It'd be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah. Right. Another five years, another 10 years, where will you be and what will it look like? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we could be closed in 10 years too, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. But yeah, it's, I guess I'm, I'm open to any direction it's going to go, but yeah. Um, it, I, I enjoy it just from the, the standpoint of, I think the thing I enjoy most is seeing new archers become successful because mm-hmm. we get, we have a ton of people coming to buy their first bow first bow setup, you know, they're, uh, in the early, early stages. And like, that was probably when I was like, you know, 10 or 11. So it kind of takes you back to that place before you've killed a deer and every encounter with a deer is exciting. Yeah. And not that, not that it's not now, but it's just, it's different once you've had, had a little bit of success, but like when someone comes in with their first little four point buck and they're just completely ecstatic. I mean, that's, that's what ke- kind of keeps us going Yeah, is, uh, hearing their stories and kind of living through them. Right. I mean, especially like the, the younger archers. I really, I really, really enjoy that when you have a, a 14 or 15 year old killer first deer and they swing by on their way, way home, you know, like yeah. that, I really enjoy that. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, I still have a ton to learn and I'm fairly new compared to a lot of people as far as Western hunting. Right. But I just love it. But it's, it, there's something to where you're bringing somebody that has never done it before. Uh, how exciting it's yeah. unreal. Like you said, you get to live through them. Oh yeah. All those first experiences, whatever, even hearing the story, like you said, it's yeah. just unreal. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, even a good friend of, well, it's, it's a coworker and a good friend. Um, he never really got into bow hunting. He was, he was a deer hunter his whole life, but you know, he's, he's in his upper forties, but he got, he got hurt a few years ago. So he can't pull, 
can't actually pull a bow back. And so in North Dakota, you can get a, you can apply for a crossbow permit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we found a pretty nice deer a few, well, five years ago. And, uh, we basically made him buy a crossbow. Sure. (laughs) And, and so he got, got approved for a permit, bought a crossbow. I ordered him the crossbow before he ever told me to, like, I just got one coming for him. And, uh, a full five years later in September this year, that same buck, he finally killed it. Unreal. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's his first archery. Well, I mean, crossbow, you can say what it wanted. It, it's still an archery tag, but is it, is it an advantage? Yes. You don't have to get to full draw, but yeah. 206 non, non-typical gross. That's his first year. <laughs> yeah. And this is With, a mule deer? Mule deer. Yeah. Just a gorgeous buck. I mean, the deer's probably eight or nine years old. And as soon as that arrow hit him, first thing he does is call call andy and myself and uh you can just hear that emotion yeah and how excited he is and i mean i mean we still talk about it and it's that was a month ago yeah (laughs) i mean we'll be talking about it the rest of our life but right those those are the experiences that like make make all of this worth it yeah um so i I mean that that's what i really enjoy because it's like that's a once in a lifetime deer yeah. for anybody. Right. I mean, yeah, yes. Some people kill multiple 200 inch deer, but, um, like, like my biggest deer is not that big and I've, mm. I've hunted way more than I, I care to admit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, but like anytime you shoot that biggest, the biggest deer of your life, it's like, you're, you're always chasing like the 15 seconds after you let that arrow go, you're, right. cha- you're chasing that every year, yeah. like to try and replicate that that excitement and Mm -hmm. so like to hear that from somebody else that hadn't experienced it like him um that's that that's that's truly why why we keep doing this i mean yeah is it annoying that sometimes we get three hours of sleep because we have a full-time job and then this on the side yeah that's annoying but then you get to hear stories like that and then you're like well it is worth it yeah you know it's so yeah yeah the uh and we'll dive back into the archery shop because i think that's a pretty cool thing right but and, mm-hmm. and, and again forgive me for going too far maybe in the like hey how do you balance it whatever else but i guess maybe that's something i'm going through myself <laughs> yeah in the, i'm still learning <laughs> yeah i, I think it's, i always will be yeah i think it's important questions to ask right because otherwise you could be just pushing your head down and burn out eventually and oh, say yeah. whereas if you're not able to like sit back and say hey what's important and where do i want to be and how does this fit my family life and whatever yeah i think you you potentially lose the the boat that you should be on you know oh, yeah yeah and it's it's i mean yeah there's there's nights where you know it's chaos with the kids and you know my wife's in there with four of them now and mm-hmm. i'm stuck in the archery shop till nine ten o'clock and it's like when i when i'm done working for the day and i get home i really don't want to work another job mm-hmm. but you know she's she's staying at home at least for a few months here she i think she's going to go back to teaching in january okay but uh yeah i mean it's it's incredibly hard on her and um hard on me because then you know there's some tension with that with with you know parenting responsibilities and stuff and yeah I, i'm gonna i'm gonna have to continue to learn on on that side of it and yeah. figure out the right balance because i she she's pretty understanding i i will i will give her that she's mm. uh i i doubt there's probably any other woman that would stay married to me <laughs> so she's she's uh she's a saint she's got a free ticket to heaven we'll, we'll definitely say that so yeah. um she does a amazing job with those kids, but, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, I'm, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is to how do you balance it without becoming burnt out? Cause I mean, there's definitely times where I'm, especially like, we'll say like July and August, 
you always get to that breaking point with, with the shop anyway. Yeah. And we were really busy at the day job too. So like there were some nights I wasn't getting home till seven and then it's like your customers kind of stack up and before you know it, it's 11 o'clock and everybody's asleep and I'm still down here. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know the right answer to, to balancing all that. It's, I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm going to be searching for it forever. <laughs> yeah. I think time will tell you, but there's a few different things there is one is with the spouse side of things. You'd have the most patient spouse in the world, right? It sounds like yours is awesome. My wife is unreal. Uh, but I don't care how patient they are in the heat of the moment when it's nine 35 and you've got two full diapers and you're trying to oh, get yeah. kids to bed and whatever else. It's still like, you understand why you're here in the archery shop, but it's still like, yep. man, I could do some help right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, yeah, it, you, I mean, you can look at it from a, a bunch of different sides. It's, you know, I, I'm always from the financial side of things. It's like, I, I've always wanted to try and do something to at least get ahead. Mm -hmm. Cause I've never really, I mean, coming, coming from my background, um, my parents were both school teachers. They both, they worked as many jobs as possible. Mm -hmm. So like I, I was kind of raised that way. Right. Um, you know, my dad was a full-time teacher, coach, athletic director, driver's ed instructor, ref, um, I mean, he did everything every right. season. I mean, he worked countless jobs for us. Yeah. I mean, he didn't never owned his own business, but I mean, he was, he was doing as much as he possibly could to make our life better mm -hmm. as kids. And so, I mean, even though we didn't have that much and we never went without anything. Right. Um, and so like I've always kind of had that mindset probably, probably from my dad cause he was just working all the time. And so like in my head, that's probably why I justify, I can justify having a, having a shop and working till late as I was raised that way. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. It's yeah, it, it's going to be changing all the time, but, um, I really appreciate the fact that she's doing, doing some work in there. I can do some work after work and, uh, maybe get a little bit ahead in life. I mm -hmm. mean, it, I wouldn't say that because the business has been growing the last few years, we're putting a lot of like anything we make goes back into inventory or bigger, bigger inventory. So I wouldn't say there's like a ton of money being taken out, but you know, in, in theory, asset size is growing For sure. within the business itself. Right. So it's, it's not tangible right now. That's a tough part. Like with saying like, Hey, I got to work till midnight tonight. Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's not necessarily thousands of dollars going to our account where it's, where it's tangible, where you can like, show your spouse this and be like, this is why, mm -hmm. you know, like this paid for our car payment this month. And you know, there's sometimes that something like that, we, we do get something nice that the business pays for, pays for like sure. bought a trailer, you know, something like that, or right. have a couple box blinds for essentially free for now my kids can go mm -hmm. bow hunting with me right. and be warm. Yeah. And so like there, there are some, some benefits with it, but it's, I'm just hoping long-term that it'll be easier to explain it because maybe in the future, this is my job. I yeah. don't know. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech software development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. 
They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. And we don't have to, you don't have to give me the straight answer, but like, would you want it to be? Cause I want to touch on that for like, if you could, you know, magic wand, here we are. Like this is your full-time gig retail store selling box blinds, doing that. Would you want that to be? I don't, maybe a combination of that. So it, it's ironic that <laughs> I don't, I'm always scheming on, on different things to do, but at some point I want to be able to be self-employed. Now, whether that looks like I have an archery shop on the side whether I'm invested in real estate, mm-hmm. different properties, stuff like that, or open another business that maybe is oil field related and I'm sure. the owner, um, or just a collection of a lot of small things. Yeah. I don't know what it looks like, but I mean, eventually I would like to work for myself. If it ended up being the retail side, I, I mean, I don't know that that could be the only thing I do. I think I would have to have something else sure. as well. Like, I don't think I could spend 15 hours a day in a retail store. Yeah. I don't think I could do it. Right. And I, I I mean, and maybe I wouldn't have to, Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing is, is you have to find quality people to work and in Western North Dakota, that's going to be difficult. I mean, there's restaurants closing down right now because they can't find people to wait tables. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I guess the, that's a long answer to your question. I don't know that I could do retail full time, but maybe just a collection of different businesses or investments to be able to work for myself and have the freedom to do what I want every day. Sure. I have a lot of, I have quite a few friends that have kind of their own oil field type companies and they have so much freedom. Like if it's Wednesday and there's a cold front and they want to be out in the morning, they're going to be out in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I, and they, you know, guys like that, I, I just really, really respect a couple of my very closest friends are they're self-employed and they own, own companies. And, you know, they took a plunge that would have scared 99.9% of people mm-hmm. out of their minds. They, they took a chance, you know, whether it was 10 years ago, five years ago, but they made it work. And yeah. And now those guys, you know, they're able to have some time freedom and, uh, kind of, kind of do some of the things they want to do, whether it's, you know, a cold front hitting on a Wednesday and they, and they want to, uh, go hunting in the morning, um, and then go to work a couple hours late you know they can make some of those things work or you know kids basketball games or kids sporting events they can they can attend most of those as long as they have their phone with them they can kind of run a company from their phone i mean so you know i i really respect those guys um i hope someday i can maybe get myself to take a chance like that mm-hmm. it's a little bit more difficult once you you know have have a wife and kids to leave stability for sure um because not that not that the oil field is necessarily the most stable industry but the midstream side of it the ups aren't as high the lows aren't as low um so i mean you know i've kind of been in the same field for 12 years and yes we've we've seen a little bit as far as layoffs and stuff goes but i i I guess myself hasn't haven't been laid off so in theory it's been stable for 12 years but um but yeah there's there's a little bit of you know maybe can't maybe maybe right now isn't the time to take the chance maybe you wait till the kids are a little bit older mm-hmm. um or maybe the right opportunity just hasn't hasn't come up yet but sure so so i, I if you, yeah that, that brings me to a couple different things is I, I, honestly thinking about this today 
and I don't know where this comes from or what. Isn't there a thing where some people say you should have like seven streams of income? Is that a thing? Have you ever familiar <laughs> with this? I don't have seven yet. Okay. But <laughs> that'd be great if I did. <laughs> but I wonder if that's the answer. But I was thinking to myself, man, is that is that like spreading yourself too thin? Unless it's like seven, six of them are passive and one of yeah. them is, one of them is uh, you know, something you're actively working on, right? But I'm trying to think if I had seven sources of income that I had to actively work on, like I'm not good at any of them, right? Yeah, exactly. And and yeah, I, I, I think in, in my opinion, having some that's passive, that's one of the directions I want to go. So maybe a collection of six, seven different things, then I can make it work where I'm technically self-employed. I don't have to be employed by a corporation like I am right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it's 10 years away, maybe it's 20 years away. Maybe it doesn't happen, but it it's fun always working towards that. Right. Um, I mean... I don't know. It's like, and you know, I, before COVID I was like casually trying, trying to pursue vacation pro- properties, but yeah. then like COVID hit and the price of everything went, I mean, you're in real estate, you, you know what that did to pricing mm-hmm. and it was almost, it basically priced me out of a lot or at least scared me out of a lot of it. Yeah. And just because I hadn't done it yet, but I was very close to like buying something in South Dakota, um, near Deadwood and and then yeah, got all my pre-approvals done and basically the prices skyrocketed and it kind of scared me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe sooner or later, I'm just gonna have to mirror my, my couple closest friends and just take a plunge and see if it works out. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. If it does, maybe it'll be the best decision I ever made, but. Right. So, but one of the things I've been thinking about with that, I mean, even even the conversation with you about like, do you get <laughs> out of the, the, the full-time job, get into this? And it doesn't sound like necessarily, that has to be the answer, but there's a thing. I think most people wouldn't quit the day job until this became, you know, a hundred percent of the income or whatever, right? Like, or, mm-hmm. or 150% or something where it's like more than secure. But is there a thing where it's like, you should make that jump when you're at like 70% or 50% or just sustaining. And that once you're there and focusing on it, whatever that is for you, whether it's the multi-layer business, whether it's the oil field business, whatever yeah. it's this, do it at that 50% level that way a it'll be a time thing you'll get there in two years versus 20 years but then yeah. but then too it's uh once you're there and focusing on that and putting all your energy into that are you going to see that exponential growth way quicker than if you had waited the 10 years that you're the super safe and secure you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean obviously if i could look into the future and figure out figure out that it'd be an easier decision because mm-hmm. that's always something i'm thinking about in the back of my mind is at, at what point do you dedicate all your time to something? Yeah. And because obviously if you're, if you're not a hundred percent on something, you're, you're leaving, you're leaving something out there for sure. And, uh, but I mean, for just talking about the archery business to get that to a point where it would re- replace your entire income stream from the day job in the oil field. And I have a very good job in the oil field mm-hmm. and I've been very fortunate there. Um, I'm not sure there's enough, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I could turn a side business into a full income replacement for that and then wait for it to be a hundred percent. I think, I think I, I don't know that I like with the limited amount of time I have that yeah. I could ever make it a full income replacement unless like, you know, so we're selling wheeled ice houses now. If that, if sales of that really took off and you, you know, if you sell 15 of those a year, yeah, then, then, then it's a different story, but I don't know that I see that happening. Sure. Um, and I don't, even if it did happen one, one year, is it sustainable? Probably not. Right. Um, cause I mean that market's, 
it's a little bit saturated. These ones are a little bit different, but um, than like your typical ice castle, the ones that are, you know, made cheaper. These ones are a different, different grade, but mm -hmm. I don't know it. I think, I think like to answer your question, it would probably have to be like a 50, 70% or something. And then, and then just try and take the plunge at that point. Sure. Um, so it's timing of it is, you know, do you do it when the kids are young? Do you wait till they're a little bit older? You know, then I don't know. It thing is, is if, thing that I respect about some of my friends that have opened their own businesses is they just said, screw it, mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. And I'm not saying it works out for everyone. Cause some, some businesses fail, but you know, right. it, I don't know, you put enough effort into it. And a lot of times you just don't let yourself fail. I right. Guess. I think a lot of times for me, this is how I look at this. These questions are impossible to answer, right? Mm -hmm. But asking them will get your brain thinking about them and the, the answers come with time, right? Yeah. Uh, like the, they'll reveal themselves to you or whatever it is. Like you'll know when the timing's right. But also too, I think about that, like your friends that started the businesses and thinking, man, I wish I could or whatever, or whoever it might be, is I realize like everybody's in a different situation, right? You've got four little ones, you, you know, everybody's in a different financial situation. Like you you could push yourself too far or make the jump too early where you're, you're being unwise. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and just understand that like patience is the game. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's, I just, I, I typically don't rush, rush into bigger financial decisions. I'm usually a little bit more reserved with maybe even to a fault with that. Yeah. Um, there's probably things I could have been more aggressive with in my life. And in hindsight, yeah, I can see that now, but, um, Man, I just lost my train of thought of where I was going with that. Yeah, just um, conservative, where you're going with it. Um, even thinking about, again, where people are at compared to you and trying to compare yourself, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't know. Those those questions are always things I'm asking myself in my head. And where when am I going to find out the answer? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there probably is never really a right time to do it. Mm -hmm. And I mean most people that have been successful in, in any type of business are usually the ones that are going to tell you just say, do it. You'll figure it out. Right. And I mean, maybe someday I will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I, I don't know. I think it's just being a constant learner. Like, right. You're always educating yourself, like, whether it's just being introspective or learning about yourself or looking into this or whatever it might be, uh, always being willing to change, adapt, improvise, whatever. Um, I think that's what'll give you those answers. But again, you talked about, Hey, maybe I should have been more aggressive, but you would have lost sleep at night. So what's the point, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think you have to find that balance of who you are and what your risk tolerance level is. And yeah. And I mean, really at the end of the day, the most important, important thing to me is family. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, you look at those four little kids and it's like, what, what's, what's going to assure them a better lifestyle. Well, maybe it's a combination of have a full-time job and a side business. Maybe that is, maybe that is the answer what I'm yeah. doing right now. Right. Maybe it is eventually I walk away and have, I work for myself. I, I haven't found out yet, but, mm -hmm. um, it's always, although always those decisions are always made with basically the kids, kids in the life and the family in mind. And so for sure. So with that though, I think you could argue absolutely. They're everything, right? You have the kids are first, whatever else, but if you have a dream and you've got a passion and you're like, can't sleep at night, whatever it might be, you not pursuing that, I think is doing them a disservice, right? Cause you're not the f full person that you could be. But also right. if you're, if you do those things and you take that risk and you take that plunge, or maybe it is even working the safe, secure thing, whatever it is, like if you're doing what you feel like you're meant to do, I think that shows your kids 
that I guess I'm even thinking about along the lines of the business, whatever else that you were willing to take those risks or whatever mm. it might be, or that you could pursue a passion probably more importantly than chasing risks. I don't know. Yeah. And yeah. you know, that's, that's one thing I, even, even at their young ages, I'm, I'm trying like my, my four year old daughter, she's very, she's very business minded and I can see that already. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, like whenever she's playing, she's opening a restaurant or opening this store or opening that. And it's probably just because she's been in the shop with me. Yeah. So she's just picking that up. But it's like, I mean, I, I hope someday, like, I don't, I mean, I don't necessarily think they need to go to college or whatever, but I, I hope that they're all business owners. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's, again, there's something to be said about working for yourself and not working for someone else. And for sure. I mean, that's the most attractive part about like that side of trying to figure out how can I get there? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would, I would love to just wake up at the, wake up at the, in the morning and I'm responsible for myself and not having out. Not, I'm not saying I work for bad people cause mm -hmm. I work for great people, but there's just, it would be refreshing for sure. And you know, I have, I have quite a few family members that are self-employed. Um, a few of them are in the restaurant business some are farmers, some are ranchers. And I mean, there's, don't get me wrong. There's stresses that come with being self-employed. Oh, I yeah. mean, everything's on your shoulder. So it's, it's a different type of stress. I'm not, not taking anything away from their stress levels, but your stress is because you're working for yourself. I mean, I don't know how to explain that. Yeah. I think if you're and make no. it sound good. Yeah. Um, no, I know. I know what you're saying too, but I think too, if you are driven for that and that's how your mind works, right like th that's where you need to be. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, my wife will tell you, she'd be the first one to tell you that she just, she gets annoyed with all the business ideas I have. And, yeah. and you know, so it's not, it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean that maybe the, maybe there are tree businesses in it. Maybe it ends up being something else, but yeah. I mean, it could even be something as, as simple as being a sales rep for a collection of a bunch of different outdoor brands. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I mean, I've got, got in touch with, you know, I probably have 10 sales reps that I work with for different brands and, you know, they cover like a five state area and they get to talk about the new bows and, or this or that, whatever product. I mean, I love that stuff. Like mm -hmm. maybe that's, maybe that's a route I end up going. I don't, I don't know. It's nothing in my life career wise has been scripted. <laughs> and I doubt the next 15 years will be either. Yeah. So it'll, uh, it'll probably always be changing. And, um, yeah, as I learn, as I grow, as the business grows, I don't know. Yeah. See where, see where everything lands. Yeah. No, again, I just think it's, I think I like asking you the questions because in your response, I learn about myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then also I just learn about you, right. What, where do you go? What's your mindsets, whatever else. Um, because I think for you, for me, for anybody, all this kind of stuff, you, I think it's really important to ask. Maybe it's cause I'm always asking them. I just think it's important to ask because you could go 20 years and look back and like, man, I should have been asking those questions 18 years ago, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, they're almost impossible. Like in the current moment, like you, there, there's no way you can give a clear answer, right? No. But by thinking about it and, and, and having that be a part of what your world is, I think you just, those answers come way quicker than just passively going through it. Yeah. And you know, learn, like I'm in a good situation because I, like I said, I have a lot of friends and family that are self-employed or have successful businesses, successful careers where they're just basically working for themselves. And so it's, it's fun talking to them, bouncing ideas off them. Like, will this or that work? You know, I have, I have some family members that have vacation rentals. Uh, that's something I've wanted to maybe dive into at some point. Mm -hmm. And so it's, 
it's like how did you take the plunge and make this pencil in your head before like because obviously you're running numbers mm-hmm. and so like it's been interesting having those conversations because i mean i think eventually the our housing market will at least come down in value maybe a little sure. bit so there might be a buying opportunity somewhere right. and so maybe maybe i wait for that and buy a couple of properties i don't know yeah. and do i have enough money for that i have no idea <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> maybe a bank will take a chance on me yeah <laughs> but uh yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's just fun having the conversations. I mean, I I like I said, I'm lucky. I've got some real good friends that I can, and they're always telling me to just go for it. Yeah. Basically, any any idea I come up with, they're like, just do it, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I wish I wish I was, I wish I could pull the trigger that easy. Where yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, again, a little bit more reserved on that side of things, and maybe it's just because where I'm at in my life right now. But right. Maybe in five years, I'll just be like, yeah, I'll try anything. I don't know. Right. And if there's ever a person who should be reserved, potentially, I'd say it's a guy with four little ones or yeah. a guy like me yeah. with three little ones, right? I mean, you need to just protect and preserve, right? Yeah. But I don't know. I think within that within that storm is get aggressive too, because I think there's huge value in just taking the plunge, like your friends are saying, right? Take the plunge. Yeah. Who cares if at best you break even? You yeah. learned a ton, right? Yeah. Uh, you got a lot of confidence from making that plunge, which you've done with the archery shop, right? Yeah. Uh, I think not as not as much of a plunge, just because you're sure. not, you're not you're not completely detaching yourself <clears throat> from your current income. Mm-hmm. You're keeping that on the side or or whatever. You know, it's not quite as scary, but for sure. Yeah. And it was a progression, right? But still, to put yourself out there isn't easy, right? Yeah. It's not a. It's not like you're like, oh, no problem. Here, let's start a brand. Let's put this out there. Let's market ourselves. Whatever it might be. Yep. It's not a not an easy task, right? No. No, and there's, yeah, there's things that, things that are unpleasant along the way too. I mean, it's, it, there's growing pains and everything. And, um, yeah, every, every time you take that next step where, like, you know, we went from selling bows to, I remember the first time I ordered a semi, semi load of box blinds and, you know, I have to write a $20,000 checkout to the company I bought them from. And it's just like, holy crap, this is yeah. terrifying. What are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, now I can have like two or three of those loads <clears throat> sitting around like just in inventory and it's not really that scary. I know like I'm kind of at the point where it's like, well, I know I'm going to sell them. Yeah. It's like, sure. There's money tied up in it now. Eventually they'll sell. I'm not yeah. really that worried about it. Right. But yeah, it's every time you take that next step. And now like with, we did skid houses last year, um, kind of a smaller ve- version of a wheeled house, but mm-hmm. you can take them on ice that's thinner and we've had terrible ice conditions the last few years. Sure. So they're becoming more popular again that was pretty scary. And like the first load was like $40,000 yeah. and now it's not scary again. Mm-hmm. But now we're going wheeled ice houses and it's just, yeah, you gotta, you gotta kind of push that boundary of your little bit past your comfort zone. Right. And then by the next year, it's just, it's part of your comfort zone. Yeah. And if you're, if you're not, well, one of my friends, one of my friends in, in business, he's always just, he always just preaches if you're, if you're not, growing you're dying yeah and uh so i i kind of i kind of try and keep that in the in the back of my mind and you know growth comes from discomfort for sure that's, that's something that i think anyone will tell you that, that any any successful business owner and so just kind of teetering on that we're a little bit uncomfortable but not like completely overextended right. where i'm gonna screw my family <laughs> over yeah so it's it's hard to find that balance but the last few years has been good but um hopefully hopefully it continues hopefully the economy doesn't completely implode here yeah <laughs> right because that that could change in a hurry too and that's always the thing with with the archery or with little missouri archery this business everything's recreational base and like if we would ever have a big re- recession what's the first thing people cut sure recreation yeah 
And so that's the, that's the one, one thing that would like in the back of my mind, that's always the thing that's saying, maybe you shouldn't do that full time because if something bad does happen, usually the first thing that's cut out of budgets is things that people don't need. Yeah. And all of that is what we sell. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, I mean, locally here, our economy, even like the 2008 recession, we were really protected because of the oil field. Mm -hmm. um, that was really strong all the way through, you know, 2009 through 2014 were some of the best years up here. And the yeah. rest of the country was kind of in shambles. Right. Um, would that happen in the next recession? I guess it just depends on what the oil price is too. So, yeah. I mean, there people historically the last, you know, 10, 15 years out here have had a lot of money to spend. So that's why these type of businesses have been okay. Right. The other thing I think about too, so say, say you do go 10 years and all of a sudden there is a huge recession, right? Who cares? You had 10 great years, pivot, do something else. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's like all these lessons that we're learning just from the small business, they can be applied to any other industry too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, business is business. And I mean, so all the little growing pains we go through, it doesn't have to be in this necessary necessary industry. I mean, right. um, it can be, it, it can be in anything else. And I mean, obviously hunting and the outdoors, that's where my passion lies. So that's why it's a good fit right now. But maybe the, maybe the lessons I'm learning are for something that's not in the outdoors. I'm not sure. Yeah. You mentioned sales. That's something you consider. Is that something you have actively considered or is that kind of just, Hey, that'd be, I just, I think over the last, you know, 10 year, well, I guess eight years with this, I've always been sales minded, but like I, as, as far as this business goes, I, I enjoy the sales part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't like your typical being like your typical car salesman type sure. guy. Yeah. Um, I just like being upfront with people and, mm -hmm. um, it seems like if you're honest and upfront, people trust you and you make one sale to them and we, we just have a ton of return people. So right. like, I enjoy that part because if you, if you see someone in here one year and they just met you, mm -hmm but then they're back year two, year three, year four for something else. Then, you know, you're doing, doing something right. Right. Because they feel comfortable. They feel like you're not gouging them, um, that you value their relationship. Uh -huh. I mean, really at the end of the day, everything in sales is about relationships for sure. And so treat the people right. And, and they're going to keep coming back here. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the, the sales <clears throat> space can be, would be interesting to me and Honestly, I've, I've thought about, I said this to my wife the other night. It's like, I think I should get my real estate license yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, because I'm really, really into like hunting properties and, or just farm and ranch properties that have hunting on them or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like there, there's, there's an interest there. Um, but yeah, I, I bounce so many ideas off of her. She, I think she's sick of yeah. sick of hearing about this business plan or that business plan. Yeah. <laughs> she just laughs at me every time. She's like, your mind's just never turning off. Is it? And right. I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. It's uh no reason I ask again, I've been in sales for eight years now, roughly. And I think it's something where if you're like a lot of people think, Hey, if sales, you're a great talker, you gotta be great at this. Like, no, like you could be the worst talker in the world. It's like, Hey, are you a good listener? Are you honest? Do you treat people right? And if you do all that and then also put together align yourself with a brand or a product or a service that you believe in, 
you're yeah. unstoppable, right? Yeah. But if you, if there's obviously some uh, communication skills that have to go into it, right? Yes. Uh, I think A being like 95% of it is how good of a listener are you? Are, yeah. are you, right? Do you truly want to get to the bottom of what does this person need and what do they need? What are they looking for? What are their problems? Can I help you out? If not, no problem. Have a nice day. Somebody else can help you. But if, yeah. if I can, like, I want to do my job to make sure that you know that I have something that can help you, right? Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is that you, it's almost like backwards what people think like again the, the whole smooth talker thing it's nothing it doesn't mean a thing right yeah uh you can people can see right through that oh yeah right? and, and i can and that's why i i try not be that guy right. it's like if yeah. somebody asks me a question about this product or that product i don't always steer them towards the thing i'm going to make the most money on mm-hmm. i'm going to steer them towards what i actually think they should do like some right. you know i i have guys in here that are going to be their it's going to be their first bow purchase mm-hmm. do they need a a Matthews V3X that fully set up is going to be 3,200 bucks. Right. No, they don't. Right. That's not where they need to start. No. What, where they need to start is, you know, a mid tier bow or maybe a used bow that I traded in from last year. That's a top tier bow, but mm-hmm. it's half the price. Right. Maybe that's where they need to start. And yeah. then if you, if you do that, they get really into it after two years, they're gonna be like, that guy treated me right. He didn't, right. you know, he didn't try and make four grand off me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and buy another bow from him. So right. th- that's, I always kind of look at, I mean, every, every person that comes in, it's like, what can I do to keep this customer from going to another archery shop? Basically. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do I, how do I get them back in the door? Cause right. it's not always the, the initial sale might be a pack of broadheads mm-hmm. where you make five bucks. Right. I mean, but if you treat them right, every time they think, Hey, I need this, I'm going to call Jake or mm-hmm. I'm going to call Andy. Right. And that's, that's kind of the direction we try and steer our customers. It's just the right direction whether it's most beneficial to us or not. And mm-hmm. so having that mindset in sales, I mean, that can, that can be applied in lots of different industries. So I don't know, I, I feel like I've done an okay job. There's always room for improvement, but, uh, I mean, that'll, that, that's a lifetime, but, uh, yeah, maybe a sales rep for something or mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure, but real estate, I, real estate's interesting to me. Just, it always has been. And, yeah. Um, I, I think that's something I could do. Um, I would want to be more on just not house, not houses, mm-hmm. just larger properties, farm, ranch, right. ag, maybe recreational for sure. Hunting properties, that kind of thing. But yeah. it's, it's, that's a, that's a hard thing to hard line to walk to. Cause it's like, well, you being from Michigan, I'm sure you've seen the commercialization of hunting a little bit yeah. over there where, you know, finding private access is very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you do find private access, they want you to pay for it. Right. They want you to lease the land and it always goes to the highest bidder. I don't want to see the North Dakota come to that. So right. it's like, I don't know that I want to be the one to introduce it. Like be a part of that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because I mean, North Dakota is still a place where I'm not saying you can get in on 50% of the properties that mm-hmm. you ask, but if you ask 15 people, one might say yes. Right. And if you ask 50, you might have two or three yeses. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be almost a hundred percent. Like right. when I was a kid growing up, nobody bow hunted. Right. I mean, in Kildare, I probably had, I could have had access to the entire County. Yeah. And slowly that's kind of like permissions and stuff have kind of whittled, whittled away. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that side of it, that side of it, it's interesting to me as far as the real estate side goes, but then it's that, 
do you want to introduce that in North Dakota? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> because, it can be I tough. Mean, there, there is some of it happening, Yeah, but it's very sporadic right now. Yeah. It can be tough because as an agent, your goal and your role and your like legal responsibility is to get the highest and best use out of that land for your client, right? Yeah. And if that happens to be a hunting lease, yeah, you can't be like, man... Guys, I don't, I don't want this to happen. Exactly. It's like, no, this is your highest, best. I mean, your client can make that choice. Yeah. You can't be the one to push them in and be saying, Hey guys, you should take this less bid because these yeah. people aren't going to hunt here or whatever. Right. Yeah. It'd be really hard to pass, pass the red face test on that and right. look your client in the eyes and say, don't take that highest offer. Yeah. It's something I couldn't do. So yeah. it's right. Yeah. And so maybe that's not the right, right fit for me just because I'm conflicted on commercialization of hunting mm-hmm. and I think you could probably make it work somehow. I'm just trying to think of, uh, I guess I'm not sure. Yeah. Something to think about. Yeah. Hard line, hard line to walk, but it may be just do real estate, just regular real estate. I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, that could even fit where you're doing real estate. That's your day job. Mm -hmm. And then you talk about many different things, right? You're doing real estate that opens the door for this, that opens the door for uh, Wednesday morning, cold front let's go you know what i mean that's yeah for sure yeah yeah i think that that could be a a a good fit because there's some flexibility that comes with that Mm -hmm. at the end of the day you're i mean you're still working for an agency and stuff but it's you can kind of make your own schedule with that too for sure in michigan you're an independent contractor you make your own schedule you get out what you put into it but you can absolutely it's on you right yeah yeah um yeah i could see that that'd be cool the, but the, the sales part of things is, again, I, I do think there's something pretty powerful there where if you have everything aligned, you've got the work ethic, you've got the honesty, the integrity, you're, you're, you can listen, you can do this. Like you're a, that's a rare fit to find all those things as well as being selling a product or a service that you really believe in. Yeah. That if you have all those things, I think you're like, there's something there, something magical where you are adding a ton of value and there's a ton of potential there. Yeah, I agree. I, the listening side is probably the area I struggle the most with. Okay. So I, that's, that's definitely something I got to get better at. Yeah. And it's a work in progress, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you just, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Training through time, whatever. I think you get a lot better at it. Yep. Yeah. Um, asking good questions, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, which you've, I mean, if you're helping somebody with their bowl, that's all what you got to do, right? Where are you at? Yeah. What's your skill level? You know, what's your past experience? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. When, when a customer walks in, it basically sounds like 21 questions to get started. Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out what they, what exactly they want. Cause a lot of people that walk in, they really don't know what they want. Mm-hmm. And look, you're more experienced people. Generally speaking, they're set on something before they walk in the door. Those are the easy ones to handle. Yeah. They basically say, this is exactly what I want. And we go that route, but and it's, there's a lot of first time guys that takes a while to get to get to the bottom of what they want. Yeah. And, uh, I think, I think Andy and I don't both are doing a better job on, you know, tailoring that customer service to the person that walks in. But, mm-hmm. uh, again, always learning on that too. Right. So. What about for you, the, the whole hunting world, we won't go crazy in depth as far as, uh, that side of things. And I'm just curious where did it begin for you? Like, did was your dad a hunter? All right. Yeah. So for, for me, um, my passion in hunting probably started more on the upland bird game, upland game bird side of things. Um, grouse, pheasants, early age. Um, got my first shotgun when I was five. Um, so started there. I actually, I think, I think my first bow tag I got when I was nine years old. Um, but my dad, I mean, I, I can't believe he did this, but I mean, when I was seven, eight, nine years old, he would take me bow hunting with him. Mm-hmm. He, he'd set me up in a tree stand by myself, but 
when I say up in a tree stand, I'm, I'm saying that very loosely, he would have a tree stand set way over on the side of things where I couldn't possibly see a deer or spook a deer or ruin anything he was yeah. doing. <laughs> and he'd leave me there for a couple hours in the evening. And, but he would just lift me into the stand. That's like four or five feet off the ground. Yeah. I had a little, uh, a little recurve bow that with blunt tip arrows. And I was, I was convinced I was going to kill the biggest deer yeah. out there. And I had, a, I had a couple encounters that really, really stick out in my mind that made me realize like bow hunting is really, really what I want to do. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I, I will rifle hunt. I'll, I'll bird hunt, goose hunt, whatever. I, I like it all, but bow hunting is what I like to do. If I, if I had to give up everything else, it would, it would be bow hunting that I would stick with. But yeah. uh, a couple encounters kind of kicked it off for me. I, I remember sitting in a patch of bullberry bushes on the, ironically on the edge of an alfalfa field where I killed my biggest white tail two seasons ago. Um, I actually had a blind in the same patch of bushes. Uh, yeah. So it kind of came full circle for me there, but I had, I had two small four by four white tails come in all the way to like five yards and they were just, they knew something was in there. I'm just this little kid crawled in a, a bush and I was too, I was so scared. I couldn't even pull my bow back. I yeah. was, I was like, I was probably seven or eight at the time. And, uh, and I, it, I wouldn't have killed anything anyway with the bow I had at yeah. the time. But, uh, yeah, like the adrenaline of having them that close. Um, I mean, I can, I can remember that day like it's yesterday. Yeah. And so, I mean, my dad, my dad's where that started. So I'm very, very thankful that he sacrificed probably many successful hunts just to take me with, um, because yeah, I, I never shut up. I still kind of never shut up and that's how, that's how some of my kids are now too. Um, but, uh, yeah, so very thankful for that. Um, didn't get super, super serious with trying to figure out, you know, kill a kill a bigger deer or whatever until i'm probably like you know 14 or 15 or hunting a certain deer any of that that didn't really start until about then i think my dad was very very thankful because i got my driver's license when i was 14 and basically after that he kind of stopped bow hunting (laughs) so as soon as i could drive it was like oh great he can go do it himself now right um so he kind of basically turned over his pickup to me and i had a lot of freedom through high school and and then really, really got into it in college. Um, cause I had more time in college, but without having too many sports, I played college golf, but that didn't take up a ton of time. we were basically done in October. So, yeah. um, yeah, definitely started from my dad and you know, it, it's grown every year. Like, I don't know how that's possible, but it, it's like, I, I love it more now than I did when I was 14 and I love it more now than I did two years ago. Right. Um, there's very, very few things in life that, that grab you like that. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to explain until like somebody like, you know, Jason stopped in here tonight and seeing that, like that's his third deer, but I mean, he's going to do that the rest of his life. Oh yeah. For like, sure. You can see it in his eyes. Yeah. You can hear it in his voice. Yeah. And there's just not, there's not a lot of things that, that can do that for you, I guess. Yeah. Um, and archery is that bow hunting is that thing for me. And, you know, like I said, I, I enjoy all the types of hunting, but it's, it always comes back to bow hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something different about it. Right. Yeah. For me, it's the same thing. It's, uh, I've defined it as mule deer hunting, right? For me, just coming out West and mule deer hunting out here, uh, which was started from bow hunting out here. Right. And I just told my wife, I said, like, I will give up everything else. Like, I don't care what it is. 
everything else I will give up as and unless we're not putting food on the table. Like I really, really want to make it out here every single year. Mm-hmm. Like this one I live for, this is everything to me. Um, it's just undescribable. It uh, really is. I until somebody has done it, they, they always understand it. Like right. once somebody's had, had that success or, or whatever, like I rarely run into somebody that they give bow hunting a chance yeah. they kill their first deer and then they lose interest in it. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem like that's very common. No. Um, right now there's people that pick up golfing, hit a few golf balls and they lose interest in that or pick mm. up fishing. It's, I don't know. Bow hunting is just, it's, it's a different deal. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know exactly how to explain it to people that, that haven't done it. But I mean, I just encourage everybody to try it. Right. And just not North Dakota. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. So the, uh, but for me, part of what it is, is I love, I love the, every bit of it. Right. The, <clears throat> like the, the, it's a very active hunt. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's super exciting for a guy like me that like struggles to sit in a tree stand for mule mm-hmm. deer hunting. You're pretty typically active. Uh, yeah. But just the landscape you're in is just unbelievable, which you grew up here. You probably yeah. take that for granted or you took it for granted before probably. I did when I was younger. I definitely don't now. Okay. I definitely, again, the more places I've been in my life hunting, it's like you look at these badlands in Western North Dakota and it doesn't get better than that. No. It just doesn't. No. I mean, it's, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so the landscape is unbelievable. I mean, you're watching the sunrise come up and glassing. I could just glass all day. I love it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it's like you're an adult Easter egg hunt, basically. It's yeah. like, I look at this huge landscape and like, there's deer here. Am I yeah. good enough to find them? Yeah. Right. And they're looking at me, but right. I find them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And just, that's unreal. Like to the point where like I'd shed hunt as much as I could. Again, just another excuse yeah. to get out there and hike. Right. Yeah. Uh, even to the point where glassing up sheds and stuff, oh, just yeah. the whole bit is just unreal. Yep. Uh, and shed hunting is a very, very close second for me. Yeah. I mean, I, the amount of time I spend shedding is what it would concern most people. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's been a little bit less the last few years with, with small kids and stuff, but yeah. I even I'll throw them in a backpack and, and take them out with me too. Oh, yeah. So can't take four of them now, but right. so somebody's always mad. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And I actually tell, I always tell my friends that, you know, if it came down to, if I had to quit hunting or quit shed hunting, I would always quit hunting first. I always, I always say, just I always to mess with that. them. You do or I, yeah. well, I, I don't know. It's like, I, I like that so much. It's like, I, that would be a tough decision. Honestly, yeah. I, I say close second and I mean close second. I don't, the only thing is you can't eat sheds and yeah. I, I like eating wild game. So <laughs> yeah, but I love shed, shed hunting. So yeah. fun. And I, I really like, so I, I am a whitetail guy, guy at heart and like finding, you know, three, four, five years off of one buck. I, I'd love that because yeah. I, I just, antlers are interesting and seeing how they grow and change from year to year and like actually see it in your hands. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. Right. Um, fortunate where I have some private access where a deer can live to be five or six years old. Yeah. Um, so I mean, not everybody has that, which I'm very thankful that I do. Um, might not always, but, um, I'm enjoying it while I do. Mm-hmm. Right? It is weird. You get to the point where like for sheds, you can look at it like my, my, my wife and my, so my brother-in-law and sister-in-law lived out here when we were living out here as well. And we'd go shed hunt quite a bit or even shed hunt separately and come back. And we look at an antler and you'd instantly see every little nuance on that antler, right? Uh, to the point where like you see it, or like I could go back right now and take some of his antlers and tell him where he found that and where he was and what we were doing or whatever, like the whole bit. Right. Yep. Uh, and they look at it and they're like, I'll forget what that thing looks like tomorrow. You know what I mean? It just yeah, doesn't, I'm, nothing clicks. Right. Yeah. And Which, I'm not, I'm not that way. It's like, I, I can go through shed piles from, and I, and mine are not organized anymore right. through the years. 
I can pick up a shed and I can tell you what year I found it. I can tell you what draw it was. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's creepy to most people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Same here. So anyways, uh, kind of a crazy deal. So I've gotten a few of my brothers into this Western hunting too. And then the, the shed hunting, they've come out with that too. And one of the, I've, I found a very first shed I ever found sitting in my hunting camp back home. Uh, my brother came out many years later, five or six years later, found a, the very first shed antler he found was off that same deer. Uh, really? different year, same side, but just like the instant I seen it, like, yep, that's the first one I ever found five years ago. Yeah. Same deer, different year, you know? Yep. Uh, and it's just, that's yeah, weird how you just get so honed in and tuned in on what oh, they yeah. are and what the little nuances and whatever, you know? Yeah. And especially when it's like in it, like in an area, like, like I have access to, <clears throat> I hunt these deer all year and then watch them all the way through February or March or whatever. It's mostly on cameras now, but um, cause I don't get to get out there in person as much as I, as much as I would like, but it's like, as soon as I pick up an antler, it's like, I, I obviously know what deer that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that, that's fun. I, I enjoy that. But I also like the random, I'm going to throw a dart at the map and I'm going to go pound this grounds out in the badlands that I've never even walked in. Cause I really like, that's the side of, of shed hunting. I really enjoy too, is I always try and go to areas I've thought maybe I need to go bow hunt this because mm-hmm. I mean even growing up in western North Dakota I haven't even covered half the state I no, mean it doesn't right. feel like it I mean right. I've I've been through a lot of western North Dakota but there's always places that it's just like there's you have this itch to go here and mm-hmm. shed hunting is always where it'll start is I'm going to go check out the ground maybe I'll find some antlers maybe I won't maybe they don't maybe they don't winter there mm-hmm. but I'll at least see the terrain and you know does it look like there's a ton of other people in here like how beat up are the two tracks that's where it always starts. Like right. the hunting spots start from shed spots. And, and honestly, that's how you get a lot of private permission. Or that's how I have too through mm-hmm. the years is the first, the first question is never, Hey, I saw a big deer. Can I go hunt your land for me? Anyway, right. it's in the spring. It's like, okay, there was a lot of deer yarded up here or whatever, or whether it's mule deer or whitetail. And I go ask for shed permission. And mm-hmm. if it's a hard no, and it's like, they're really annoyed, they're probably not going to let you hunt the no. next year. But if it's like, you want to, if they give you that, like confused, like you want to do what? Right. You wanna, Cause you get that a lot out here. It's like, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go walk around my land and look for something that might not be there. Yeah. You enjoy that. That's, that's fine. Um, but then like, you know, you break that ice and put a face to a name and maybe the next year you want to bow hunt there and that's opened a lot of doors. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's something that's overlooked and that's, so shed hunting is, it's beneficial in just a lot of ways is scouting is the scouting is the main one and getting contacts and private access that helps a lot too. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you find a shed and you end up killing that deer the next year too. And so there's a lot of value in shed hunting. Yeah, for sure. Do you get to the point too? Have you glassed up a lot of sheds? Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially in the badlands. Right. Lots. I mean, I, I used to do this even, even when I was younger, there's, there's some public not too far from here. And, uh, back when I was a kid, it just, it didn't, nobody did it. Right. Um, I could go out there in April and nobody had even walked out there since the close of the season. Yeah. And, and this is really good public ground with, you know, food plots and everything on it. Like the game of fish takes care of it. And I, I can remember one time I, I'd seen, I'd seen something on what well, probably some, some hunting show where they were glassing up sheds. And I was like, Oh, I've never tried that. And right. this is like, I don't know, 14 or 15. And so I went up on a Ridge and I kind of knew some of the bedding areas that they were using going to and from these cornfields and it was all south facing slopes where there's less less snow and mm-hmm. at 11 sheds to go collect by the time i was done yeah on that hill right. so it's like yeah i i've used that for a long time um 
and that's that's really fun it's yeah. like when you're scanning something and you see tines sticking up because then it's like you got two or three hundred yards to think about what that thing is actually yeah. going to be and sometimes it's like you think it's a giant antler and you go over and it's like just a little two point or yeah. something and then sometimes it's you think it's a little two and then you get over there and it's a 150 inch white tail shed or something like that and right so it kind of goes both ways so it's always it's always exciting yeah but, i've seen a progression where early on it was everyone i found i stumbled upon to eventually started glassing them up till eventually it was like 50 50 now i'm finding way more from glassing than oh, yeah. i have from just stumbling upon them yeah yeah i i would yeah i would say it's over half for me and, and even when i'm out like in flat country looking for whitetail sheds yeah i stop all the time and just scan scan around me mm-hmm. and i find a lot doing that yeah and it's sheds that i'd walk by right and i mean i'm not saying i'm perfect i've so i i always have this saying that it's like sometimes sometimes you find the shed sometimes the shed finds you mm-hmm. i've stepped on so many yeah. of them i can't i can't even tell you <laughs> so we've made trips out here right as a family we've got my wife and kids and like I said backpack all on our own me and my brothers you just put miles on and there's so, some days you put on miles and not find a shed oh right? yeah and uh anyways our hunt last year in montana we went hiked in there tented whatever else we're quite a ways away from the truck uh and it was the middle of the night i got out to go pee i turn on my headlamp out i go out there and take a pee and i look over and there's a shed laid on the ground <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> like, so like you can put on miles and miles or you can go and pee outside the tent at night and there you are you know yeah it's 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 humbling sometimes too because i mean like there there's been a couple of years where it's like i'm looking for a certain match mm-hmm. and I know it's in it's in an ag field yeah. because that's where all the deer were they weren't even leaving it <clears throat> there's a couple of bucks in particular i'm thinking of right now and i mean i covered it i grid searched it two different directions i know it's in there and then don't end up not finding it and then the next year <clears throat> i'm in the same field it's a different crop but then i find it all chopped up mm-hmm. so it was there the whole time yeah and it's like i the one in particular i'm thinking of it's one of the biggest whitetails i was able to hunt and uh i knew that shed was in there and i bet i walked within 15 feet of it a dozen times mm-hmm. and I never so it must have just been how it was laying in, yeah. in row, co- row crops it's 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 meticulous i yeah. mean it's you have to really slow down in row crops and corner, corner sunflowers and it was a sunflower field that year and so i don't know if it was just up or under something but hmm. Yeah. So you think you have it figured out and you never do. You're always learning with that stuff too. That's what makes it interesting. But yeah. And the other thing is I have found sheds, like you talking like a lot, a lot of the badlands, what I've been doing, right. Is 75 yards away and you see a corner of a tine sticking up with my binoculars, right? Mm-hmm. Like I never would have found it if I didn't oh, binoc. Yeah. but it's like 75 yards. Why would you binoc? Why would you glass that? But it's like, no, there's the shed. I never would have found it. Sweet. You yeah. know? But yeah, so it's weird how it's like, yeah, sometimes a mile, yeah, not usually a mile, maybe spotting scope, but either way, sometimes yeah. a great distance oh, yeah. or 75 yards. Right. And yeah. it's like, yeah. And it's, bit. it's definitely to the point where like, I mean, if, if I get an hour away from my house and I, I get out at the trailhead that I'm going to walk in and I forgot my binoculars, yeah. I will drive home. Yeah, for sure. I, I, won't, even, I won't even, won't even go out. Right. Like I'll either just not go that day or go get my binoculars and just lose two hours. Mm-hmm because it's that important for sure yeah it's uh it's a fun game and then uh, just glassing uh, i'm curious for you for hunting i I, I, glassing off a tripod you've done that quite a bit with your binox um so i'm like a hybrid guy so because of some knee injuries i always have walking sticks okay so i actually use a walking stick just so i don't have to change out like tripod heads or whatever sure I, i haven't 
I shouldn't say I never do it. I do glass off a tripod some, mm-hmm. just not, especially like from a hunting standpoint when I'm trying to be lighter. Okay. Then, then I usually don't. You just balance it on top of your trekking pole. Yep. Okay. And that, that stabilizes it really good for me. Yeah. So that's just, it's a multi-purpose tool. So mm-hmm. that's, I always have, I always have the walking sticks with just because my knees are not the greatest. So, right. um, just dual purpose, but yeah, for sure. The, uh, yeah, sled is kind of a crazy <clears throat> deal. I'm the same way I could take you other than maybe a couple of my little small two points and stuff like that. I could take you to every one of my sheds and I, I'm not, I'm sure a fraction of what you've got, but several hundred probably and mm-hmm. tell you where every one of those was, where it was, what draw, how it was laying basically like the whole bit. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's weird how, yeah, it's weird. Like it doesn't even make sense. Like you're not even hunting. You're just going to look for antlers. I There's know. something about it. Yeah. And you know, some people, I mean, some people call, call them, uh, participation trophies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine with that. Cause yeah. that means they're not going to be out there shed hunting. <laughs> Cause I mean, that's gotten so much more popular too. So the competition with it, like that, that land I was talking about the public stuff where like there was one day I went out and I found, I found 39 whitetail antlers mm-hmm. one day. And it's like, now if you would go out for five days in a row and find that, that would be really good. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, I've put on, you know, 12, 13 miles in a day out there and not picked up a shed now, yeah. but it's, there's boot tracks on every trail. Right. And, and then the issue that I have with the popularity of it growing is some people aren't that responsible with it. Sure. And like the weekend after, so our bow season usually closes somewhere between the first and the fourth of January. Yeah. And you know, with stressful winters, some deer are dropping in December. Mm-hmm. So like there are sheds out there. Right. But it's not the time to be no. walking around pushing deer. Right. And like when they're trying to get through a winter, hunting season just closed, like give them a break. For and sure. it's like on on some of that public ground, it's like there's there's guys that are blowing the fields out every single night. Right. From January fourth all the way through and, and I mean, it's counterproductive because a lot of those deer that are wintering on that public end up back in the private to lose mm-hmm. their antlers. That or they end up getting so stressed they die. Right. That it kinda it kinda irritates me. And I don't know that I don't know that I want them to go to like a full fledged shed season, like other States have, Mm -hmm. but I, it's trending that direction. Yeah. I mean, if we have bad winters, like, I think, I think there's going to be, there's going to have to be some limitations on it just because it's not good for the animals to get run around like that. No, for sure. And yeah, you wonder how much of them, like, yeah, you don't ever want to like eliminate a market, but you wish it wasn't even a market for them. Right. Cause is that what's driving a lot of it? Is it the market or is it? I think with a lot of things, honestly, it's social media. You think I, so? I, I think it is. It's like everybody, the younger generation, they're like, everybody's just chasing likes and, yeah. and this and that. And I mean, it's with a lot of things. It's not just hunting. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know that there's, I don't know that there's that many people that are that, that are good enough at it to where they're making money at it. Okay. Um, but I mean, antler prices are pretty high or they have been the last couple of years. So maybe that's part of it. I think, I think in the elk, the elk shed side of things, maybe not North Dakota, cause there's not as many elk, but right. you go to some of those mountain States, I think it gets super competitive cause you find a nice, nice elk antler. It can be a few hundred dollars. Right. So like depending, especially if it's like unique mm-hmm. or uncommon, um, people pay a lot of money for that stuff if right. it's a specialty type antler. Yeah. And so maybe the financial side's driving that. I don't know that, you know, the whitetail side and stuff, stuff that's sold for poundage. I mean, you have to, you have to find a lot of antlers to make it worth your gas. You yeah. Know? So I, yeah. it's, I don't know. 
I think, yeah, maybe, maybe clicks or likes or I don't know. Maybe people just like doing it too. Cause I love doing it. Right. Which if that's why people are doing it, great. Right. But like, like you said, as long as they're having some responsibility, like let the snow melt, let the yeah. deer recover. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, just, I don't know. It like, I'm not saying I never, never sneak into some public ground where there's deer, but like, I'm usually smart about it. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to go blow an entire field of a hundred deer out to try and find the one buck that shed and the, the 50 they're still carrying them, blowing mm. them out of the countryside and making their life miserable. But right. I don't know. It's, I don't know. Yeah. Love, hate relationship with the, with, with the shed hunting, I guess mm-hmm. with on that side of the things, but yeah, no, we've really enjoyed it. And I think we've done a pretty good job of waiting long enough. Right. But again, when we have been in there and then you're out right on the edge, like it's, you know, April and it, the snow is melting late winter, whatever is you see a deer, you just try to give them a wide berth, you know, yeah. walk around them, head a different direction, yeah. whatever it might be. And I think at that point you're doing your, your role to yeah. protect them and whatever too. But yeah, yeah that's sure. crazy too. Thinking how early they can go, but yeah, I was just thinking about that on the way up here. Cause Andy mentioned that you like shed hunting quite a bit too. And I was like, man, I do too. But like, why? It doesn't hardly make sense sometimes, you know, yeah, it's whatever, what that weird that weird you know you spot an antler in the two seconds after that like that little i don't know yeah. adre- adrenaline bump yeah. from hey i finally found something i'm looking for <laughs> um especially like if it's been one of those days where you're walking around for five or six hours and you haven't you haven't picked anything up yet and then there you see a tine sticking up yeah i don't know whatever that feeling is and that five seconds following spotting an antler it, as dumb as it may sound to people that don't do it yeah. that's that's probably why you do it. And I just, I like walking around looking at new country too. For sure. Yeah. And in even, even country I've hunted for since I was 10. I mean, I've, I'm still hunting on my grandpa's original ranch from when I started bow hunting and, mm-hmm. and like my, my two uncles have that place now and, and have added to it. And there's still places on that property. I haven't been. Yeah. And so I, in sh- during shed season, that's when you start crossing those little nooks and crannies off and you know it's how some of my best stand locations have been found or my best muley bedding areas that i didn't know were there because you have to hike in the backside of this all the Mm -hmm. way around yeah it's i don't know that's when i like to explore yeah but you gotta have time to do that too so i don't get to do it quite as much as i used to with with the little ones but Right. There's kind of a couple of things you're talking about there is like when i glass especially when it's a long ways away like i glass up an antler half mile away and i'm like that's got to be one, but my whole way there, I tell myself it's not one. It's not <laughs> oh yeah, one. I, I, <laughs> yeah. It's like, you, you, yeah, you try and tear yourself down. So yeah. like, if it is one, it's like, wow, it's a surprise still. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that way you're not let down when it actually is. But yeah, I can still remember if my first elk antler um, for whatever reason. You know, I, I a lot of my shed hunting, I didn't do in areas where there were elk. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I hadn't found an elk antler. It's probably tell. I mean, I probably had been shed hunting for seven or eight years pretty hard before I found an elk antler, but I never really went out and tried to find an elk antler either. But there was some elk that moved in on some property that I I hunted and I knew that. And I kind of kept track of them through April. And I was like, I had my spotting scope out and I was glassing this south facing slope where there was a big funnel and see elk through that just about every morning. And I spotted this white, white tree branch is what I thought it was. Right. And it's like, I'm two miles away. It's quite a bit of a hike to get over there. Yeah. And, uh, I just, I was like, it's not an antler, but you have to go over and right. you have to go look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a nice little six point elk yeah. antler. <laughs> I got over there and I was really surprised, but I, yeah, I was, I was a hundred percent convinced it wasn't one, but I was like, 
I will never stop thinking about that. I don't walk over there. And yeah. sure enough, there was one there, but, and then, yeah, then the floodgates opened from the elk side of things, but, yeah. um, cause I found quite a few since then, but yeah, that was, that one was really fun. And then I, my, my first moose antler too, that, that, oh man, that took me forever. I looked for moose antlers for, for years and years and years. And we've been slowly getting more and more moose in North Dakota. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed that yet or you, you haven't been hunting here for three years. Yeah, it's been about said? three years. So shed hunted every year, but I haven't actually hunted here about three or four years. Yeah. Four okay. years. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's definitely, I mean, moose are, they're all, all the way down to the South Dakota border now. Yeah. I mean, and there's not even a unit open down there, but yeah, it took me, took me several years to finally find one of them. But when I did, I, I lost my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad there was no one with me that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of my favorite times shed hunting. So me and my brother and a few of our friends were out shed hunting, actually the same trip where my, my other younger brother found that his first, which ended up being a match to my first or again the same deer anyways yeah we were shed hunting there it'd been a, kind of a slow day for me the other guys had found quite a few and it was kind of like i was getting nothing these guys were getting a ton and it doesn't really matter but it, you're like hey man i want to find some too you know yeah and i'm walking up a hill i turn around in glass and my brother just happens to be walking up to me like oh hey logan walks past me and picks up a nice four point right past me right 30 yards past where i was gonna go so it's like add insult to injury I'm oh like, yeah man, what's going on here anyways i get to the top of the next rise glass down maybe 600 yards away and glass up a shed. I'm like, sweet, I'm going to find this thing. My brother's sitting right there on this ridge. He watches me go get it. I go get it. I'm like, show it up to him. I'm like, woo. And then I look over and I'm like, oh, there's a match. You don't know, go over, grab it. I'm like, unreal. Yeah. And then I look over there. I was like, oh, there's another shed. Go walk over there. Third one. I, and I, everyone, I'm whooping to my brother who's up on the ridge there, you know? And he's like, by the third one, he's like, what? Anyways, so I grabbed that one and I, I had to walk another 15 yards to get it. You know, and as I do that, I'm like, oh, there's a two point elk shed. Grab that. I'm like, unreal. Like, grab the elk shed. I'm like, there's another mule there. Should I grab that sucker? I'm like, unreal. So, anyways, five mule there sheds and one elk shed, yeah. all within like 50 yards of each other. Yeah. And my brother's watching it all and I'm just whooping up at him. It's just something yeah. about it. Just unreal. Oh, yeah. it, it's fun. You don't, you don't find those pockets that often anymore because there's more people doing it. Yeah. But I, I've been in several different pockets where, you can tell nobody's been there for four or five, oh, six yeah. years, or maybe never have looked for sheds there because right. you find, you find antlers that are fresh. You find antlers that are two years old, three years old, four years old, all in the same pockets. Yeah. And yeah. They're, they're a lot more rare these days, but man, I, I absolutely love that where you get into a pocket. It's, it's usually like a, a South facing bedding slope, something like that mm -hmm. where it's sun soaked. And maybe there was a couple hard winters there in the past and, and you, you just get in there and you're like, there's flat bedding everywhere. And you look around and it's like, you go to this antler and from that antler, you spot two more, you mm -hmm. go to those and you find another one or whatever. It's just like, you're just, you're tripping over. Yeah. I, I love that. <laughs> Again, it's a lot more rare. They're rare these days, but every once in a while I still find one of those and that's, that's really fun. Yeah. And for people that don't do it, they don't really understand it. And there's, I have so many friends that make fun of me about okay. shit hunting and they're right. just like, I don't, I don't get it. It's like, I have friends that find them and chuck them. Mm -hmm. they, don't even, they don't even take them with and Right. I don't know. I just, I'm a, I'm a huge antler nerd. That's yeah. just how I am. <laughs> right. Yeah. Me too. I enjoy the heck out of it. And again, I haven't even quite been, like I keep saying it doesn't make sense, but it's just something about it. But I think that's what it is. A, it's an excuse to be out there, mm -hmm. but I'd be lying if I said that's it. Like, cause you can just go hike, right? Yeah, like, you can. And hiking with a purpose is, I guess that's my purpose, but yeah, most, yeah. a lot of people would say that's just walking around aimlessly, but mm -hmm. no, I, I absolutely love it. Right. And, you know, I, I tried to train, a, I have two labs now. They were both started shed dogs and well, not, not, not professionally just by me, but, uh, both of them like years one and two, they were both really good, but then I let them bird hunt mm -hmm. and I'm not a good enough dog trainer 
to get them to differentiate. Sure. So they're ruined now. Yeah. <laughs> they, right. Birds are more exciting than antlers that are laying there doing nothing. So yeah, I thought it was onto something, but yeah, they, they're always with, but they don't find anything anymore. Right. They find dead deer, but yeah, that's about all they'll find just cause that's easier for them. But yeah. Right. Well, no, we haven't even hardly gotten into your, uh, your hunting world and some of those stories and stuff, but I think we might save that for a follow up someday. Sure. Yeah. Um, is there anything we didn't cover that you think we should have on the, on the business front on the, I guess we talked quite a bit about shed hunting, but anything you, we didn't talk about that we should have talked about. Mm, nothing off, nothing off the top of my head, I guess. Um, I don't know. These are just how my conversations go. They just yeah. <laughs> random in every direction. <laughs> Sorry. I don't stay on tasks very well, but yeah, no, um, we're doing good. that's just how it, that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, no, nothing, nothing off the top of my mind really catches me, but yeah. Okay. And then, so in closing, I'm going to ask you, so you, you have been a, a whitetail guy most of your life either. Like if you had to pick one, it's archery hunt, whitetail, that's what you like to go for. Yeah. I mean, it would, it would have always been, ah, man, maybe up until about six or seven years ago, um, I would have always answered whitetail. Okay. Um, for whatever reason, I like the puzzle pieces, the, the game planning and all of that that goes into it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm capable of sitting still um which some people aren't so but i also like moving around too but i don't know so the last i don't know we'll say half a dozen years six seven years i've been spending more time in the mule deer space and i really really enjoy hunting a specific mule deer yeah just one deer right um it can be annoying because you might go 10 days of being out there without even seeing them or if you do see them, the odds of them laying in a spot where you can get in on them, sometimes you just got to walk away. Mm -hmm. So it's frustrating and rewarding, but you know, it's when it works out and you finally kill the one buck you're hunting. I really like that. And I really like the, the game planning of from you spot them, they lay down, what route are you going to take? Mm -hmm. You have to take everything into consideration, obviously thermals, wind direction, um, whether you're going to be skylined, any, any of that, are right. they going to, are they going to move in an hour? Or is it going to take them four hours to move to a second bed? I really like, I like that. I like the chess match of that. Mm -hmm. So that's, I can kind of relate that to like the chess match of hunting a certain whitetail buck. Sure. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. I would have always answered, answered whitetail, but I've had, I have had to had, you know, several mule deer hunts work out really well here in the last yeah, five, six, seven years. And it'd be tough to give that up too. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I like having a balance of both. Sure. Um, so a little bit of mule deer, a little bit of whitetail. The next few years, we're not gonna have a whole lot of whitetail hunting. So it's gonna be mostly, mostly mule deer with the EHD coming through here. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a little bit annoying, but at least we have the option. Cause you know, mm -hmm. like a state like Iowa, if EHD comes through, you don't have a second option. No, right. You leave the state and go hunt somewhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're, we're very fortunate to have both good mule deer and whitetail around usually. Um, so yeah. And it, you know, doing mule deer and, and whitetail, it makes you well-rounded as a mm -hmm. hunter. Um, teaches you to be patient if you're hunting whitetails and in mule deer. Um, maybe it teaches you to be a little more aggressive with the whitetails too. Right. So, I mean, cause there's, I've actually spot and stocked a few whitetails now that had I hadn't started hunting mule deer, I don't know that I would have taken the, the risk of what I did to kill those couple whitetails. Yeah. 
So I, yeah, I killed, I killed a pretty, one of my, well, it was my best white tail at the time. I killed it eight yards on the ground Unreal. and had to wait on him for eight and a half hours, 30, 30 mile an hour winds. And he was bedded in clover that was eight feet tall Yeah, that year. And had I not had some mule deer experience, I'd probably wouldn't have crawled all the way in there. Right. I mean, but the wind was so steady. It was, it was fine. I mean, normally, normally if I'm stocking a deer, I rarely go inside of 30 yards anymore. Mm-hmm. Too many things can go wrong. But when the wind was howling 35, it's like I had to, and the clover was that thick that I had to. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Having a nice balance of both now. I don't know that I could give up one or the other. I like doing both. Yeah, sure. So. Yeah, there. And I enjoy, I talk about mule deer hunting on here. I enjoy the whitetail side <clears throat> of things too. Like in the UP, hunting whitetails up there is unreal. I really yeah. enjoy it. Um, I haven't really done much whitetail hunting here. I would just by happenstance, like, oh, there's a nice whitetail. Let me yeah. try to see what I can do. Um, but focus on the mule deer side of things for sure. But that side yeah. of it, I really enjoy. And you talked about being a, a gearhead, right? Like, that's what we do. And it's all it's just like the shed hunting. It's You could say it's an excuse to be there. Yep. Us talking about gear and working on gear and, like, what yep. binoculars do you want to get next, oh, right? Yeah. It's all, like, almost an excuse to just a way to live it year-round, right? Oh, yeah. Um on top of it being fun, it just also lets you be engaged. That's yeah. The, you know, yeah. especially for me from being three or four States away, you know? Yeah. That's where I am very lucky. I don't take it for granted. Being right here is, it's really nice. Um, yeah. I probably didn't fully appreciate when I was younger, but I definitely do now because, you know, I've been to Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, a few provinces in Canada, and I'm always happy to come back here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> always happy. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't found too many places that I would rather live yet. Right. Um, now if I ever go, if I ever do get to Alaska, like I want to, that'd probably be the place I wouldn't mind living, but then you're so far away from family and everything too. So that would make it tough, but yeah, that's definitely on my bucket list at some point. Yeah, for sure. No, I think we should save some of those stories for a, uh, a follow-up sometime. It'd be sure. fun to, uh, even thinking, of, I guess that's a world I'm engaged in, right? We're talking <clears> back on the business side of things and the, and the, where are you going to be? Because I think that's an important brain space. Uh, it'd be fun to follow along and see where you go with some of that stuff, right? Yeah. Whether that's a year or 10 years or whatever it is, just to see what those, what those learning experiences are, where you go and what kind of plunges you do take and yeah, some of those answers in hindsight, right? Yeah. And hopefully I do a jump off a few cliffs and, yeah. and make something happen. That'd be good. Yeah. For sure. But appreciate this, Jake. Thanks for taking time. Yeah. We're here on a late night. This is awesome. Yeah. No, thank you. I appreciate the conversation. Yeah, for sure. Hey guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have, and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends, subscribe to the podcast where if you listen and give us some feedback with a review until next time. Thank you.